Now think about this a portrait of adoption, right? It's a long, arduous process. I've been a reference for several uh, friends and people in the church. It's a long process of, of filling out multiple applications, having background checks, multiple interviews, um, home uh, you know, visits, most of them unannounced, to see what the home's like. And you know the average cost for adoption right now in our country, as of yesterday, is $32,000. All of that process, why? To bring a child home to have a forever family and be part of that family. Now think about our Heavenly Father. Think about the process to adopt you and me. See, God became human in Christ, and once again, I'm going to say it, brought us home to be His adopted children. Hello, and welcome to the FBC Sermon Podcast. Today's sermon is entitled Identity. It was based on Ephesians 1, 3-10. We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. So what determines who we are? What's the source of our identity? This is one of the most critical questions we'll ever ask for a lifetime because whatever shapes our identity has incredible influence over our lives. And if we're not secure in our identity, we become incredibly vulnerable to do whatever it takes to enter into or stay in that social circle that we think will help us to look valuable, or to achieve status, whatever it takes to achieve status, whether it's education or job or how we're viewed socially, uh, whatever, to achieve status so that we feel important. If we don't have a strong sense of our identity in Christ, we'll do whatever it takes to keep a relationship, even if it's a toxic relationship, uh, because we so want to feel loved. We don't have a strong sense of our identity. Sometimes we numb to feel the pain with substances or cutting. It's so incredible for us to know our identity. But see, when our identity comes in God, how God views us, it's, it's still a daily challenge to recalibrate, to re- constantly remember who we are in Christ. But then we have a greater security because we know we're loved, end of sentence, not loved because, just loved, since we're God's beloved children. And we'll have greater courage to live out God's vision, God's destiny, God's calling for our lives. And so we're launching uh, our September sermon series, Built to Last. Uh, We're going to look at four of many ingredients, but four ingredients that can help us to build a faith that will guide us through this semester, this season of our lives, and a faith that will stick for a lifetime. Uh, You received a card on your way in uh, that has the sermon schedule, and if you want to take that home and, I don't know, put it uh, on, you know, tape it to the mirror, put it on the fridge, whatever like that, and if you want, you can read ahead and start thinking about what the next message will be. Because we don't know what this semester is going to bring, do we? Will we grow closer to God? Or will we lose our faith? Now, before you say, I'm not going to lose my faith. I don't know anyone who's lost their faith who said a year, two, three earlier, a semester earlier, you know, I think this is the semester, I'm going to lose my faith. Yeah, no, that doesn't happen. But we know people, don't we? Who've lost. There are pe- pe- people we love, we long for. 
Uh, will this be a semester? Will this be a season of life where we make wise choices? Or will we make painful decisions that will have wreckage into the future? Will this be a season of our lives where we'll bless the world? Or will we just kind of uh, fit in the dominant paradigm of our culture and live self-centered lives where we squander so much of what could have been a blessing to our neighbors? And so we begin this, this first message in, in our series exploring our identity in Christ. We join me in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, Richard, thank you for reading that for us. And by the way, what Richard didn't mention is he's a professor of chemistry at UMass. And uh, there are several um, scientists among our church family. If you're wrestling with faith and science, let us know. We can connect you because faith and science are not dichotomous. They have a beautiful relationship together. But um, uh, join me, Ephesians chapter 1. It's in the blue Bibles in front of you on page 1156. For those of you who are worshiping online, uh, find Ephesians chapter 1 or queue up your device. In Ephesians chapter 1, four different times, the author says, in Christ. Now, sometimes it says, in him, but it means Christ. It's the pronoun. Four times he says, in Christ. And these are four different ways that in Christ, we can know some things about our identity from God's perspective of who we really are. The first of those is that we are blessed. Join me in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now here the author's beginning this letter by praising God. Man, he's feeling blessed about what's happening, okay? So we must kind of automatically assume, well, it's good times for him, right? Because most of the time we hear people saying, man, I'm praising the Lord. It's good times. It means he's probably healthy. He's got a circle of friends. He, he's financially secure. He's got a good job, right? Those are the things usually when we say, man, I'm praising God. But the truth is, the author is praising God. He's in prison. The Apostle Paul's writing this from prison. We know this because in chapter 3, he says, I'm a prisoner. Chapter 4, he reminds us, I'm a prisoner. Chapter 6, he goes even deeper and he says, I'm in chains. He's in chains in a prison in a Roman prison. It's one of the prisons of the empire. That's about the worst place you could possibly be. So what's he talking about? Spiritual blessings. He's talking about the kind of blessings that the circumstances of this world can never take away. He's talking about blessings that even in the midst of a messy breakup where our heart is wounded and damaged, it means still we're blessed by God who cares for us and walks alongside us. It means that we're blessed not based just on our education or our career status, although those are good pursuits, but as soon as we find our identity in those things, we're on a roller coaster, aren't we? And one day the roller coaster rides high, and the next it comes crashing down, and we're broken because of it. Spiritual blessings are not dependent on whether we're shamed on social media or we're bullied by someone at school, because God still views us exactly the same, no matter what shame we may begin to struggle with. And our identity in Christ, our blessings in Christ, are even more important than what we feel at any given moment. Because we all have those mental health moments, don't we, where anxiety, depression, insecurity, uncertainty, and we think, ah, but you know, in those times, 
God still loves us, bless us. His grace on the cross hasn't changed. It goes beyond ourselves and our current circumstances. It's challenging to recalibrate and remember that God's Spirit at the same time as maybe grieving with us in heartache for us over circumstances is still whispering to us, but remember, nothing has changed in my relationship. Nothing has changed with how I view you. Spiritual blessing. So here's the challenge for us. What determines our identity? Will be our culture? You know this, our culture, rather it's uh, the people that we're surrounded with or more broadly, collectively, our culture will celebrate people in one moment and shame them the next. It's like a roller coaster ride. Or is our identity more and more day by day where almost our mantra is, this is who I am in Christ. This is how God views me. I'm loved beyond what I could ever fathom. I'm, I'm more deeply sinful, lost, and broken than I'll ever admit, but I am more rescued by God's grace than anything that I'll ever fully know. I'm God's beloved, treasured child if I'm in Christ, if I've chosen to have my sins nailed to the cross. And now I'm set free, not by my performance, but by God's grace to then learn what it means to live, saying, God, thank you for who you are, what you've done. I want my life to be like a thank offering to you in our wounded, damaged, broken world. We are blessed. The second of the in Christ is that we are chosen. Move down to verse 4. God chose us, here it is again, in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God chose you. I know that may be difficult for us to embrace, but God chose you. Even if you're feeling like, you know, I, I really don't have many friends. I really struggle. God chose you. Maybe even though you may be saying, you know, I, I didn't get into the college I really wanted to, and I, God chose you. You know, I just so long. I so long to get married, to have a life partner, and it seems like you can't even get a date. God chose you. Man, I've been rejected. I've been abused. I've been damaged by people. God chose you. God chose us to be his blessed, beloved, cared for children. Now, here's what's critically important. Matter of fact, let's just do this, okay? I want you to look at the person next to you and, and, and just, and if this is embarrassing, no problem, just next week sit on the other side of the sanctuary from that person and just say to them, like you mean it, God chose you. Go ahead. God chose you. Both sides around you. God, cho God chose you. God chose you. God chose you. Amen. Amen. Hey, the next time we look in the mirror, look to ourselves and remind us, God chose you. Me, even me. Even though all those things, God still chose to reach out to me. Now, here's what's important. When did God choose? Look at verse 4. We read, when we got religious enough. No, it's not what it said. When we achieved enough status. Nope. When we accomplished something worthy. Nope, but it's not what it said. It says, before the creation of the world. Isn't that amazing? Not after we achieved anything. Even when we were still in bondage, depraved, damaged, wounded, broken, God still chose to reach out to us with His salvation, with His presence, with His love, with His hope. 
See, Jesus went on a mission trip. If you're wondering, do I have any value? Jesus went on a mission trip. And he left behind the splendor and the majesty and the glory and the beauty of heaven. And he became one of us. See, we're looking forward to going the other way, right? Eventually. But Jesus, Jesus came down the elevator, if we can say that, to become one of us. On the cross, he sacrificed his life. If you'd have been the only person living, he would have sacrificed his life for you. And he's reaching out. He's chosen to reach out to us, to become his, his treasured kids. And when we become children of God, it means that we begin to take on the family resemblance, don't we? Because we've been adopted. And that's the third of the um, in Christ's. Uh, we're adopted, move down to verse 5. In love, God predestined us to be adopted as his children. Here's that phrase again, in Christ. Adopted as his children in Christ because of his pleasure and will. If you're a follower of Christ, you've been adopted. You have a heavenly father, and you're part of God's family. Now, maybe you've had a faithful father in your life. One of the things as our children were growing up, and, and they're now, what, 28 and 25 and, and, and launched and doing great, but when they were young, one of my greatest, well, still, but one of my greatest goals was to be the kind of husband for Carolyn and the kind of father that would make it natural for my children to say, oh, portrait, Heavenly Father, I can make that transition because I have a strong relationship with my earthly father and I can see that that would be a beautiful thing to have a heavenly father. See, if we've had a faithful earthly father, we've had a portrait, a, a tiny, broken, depraved, damaged portrait of our heavenly father. Maybe we have father wounds. We all do. But some of us may have deep and damaging father wounds. You have a heavenly father who's the perfect parent for your soul who we can trust, the Father that we may have never had, who embraces us and parents us as his beloved children. Now think about this a portrait of adoption, right? Uh, we've had a number of people among the church family, and then Carol and I have had several friends who've adopted children, you know, where they have love in their hearts, and they long to pour out that love and, and to give hope to a child by having a forever family and, and opportunities. And it's a long, arduous process. I've been a reference for several uh, friends and people in the church. It's a long process of, of filling out multiple applications, having background checks, multiple interviews, um, home uh, you know, visits, most of them unannounced to see what the home's like. And do you know the average cost for adoption right now in our country, as of yesterday, is $32,000. All of that process, why? To bring a child home to have a forever family and be part of that family. Now think about our Heavenly Father. Think about the process to adopt you and me. See, God became human in Christ, and once again, I'm going to say it, left behind the majesty, glory, privilege, beauty, perfection of heaven, became one of us, revealed who God is to us, sacrificed his life on the cross, and at great expense brought us home to be his adopted children. 
And remember, this was the plan that God did, and this is what Christ did before we ever proved anything, achieved anything. It's not based on performance. It's on God's grace. So we've been blessed, we're chosen, we're adopted, and, and then finally, the fourth thing is we are redeemed. Let's unpack this. Move down to verse 7. In Christ we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins because of the riches of God's grace that God has lavished on us. Here's this theme of redemption. It may sound like kind of a challenging theological word, but it's actually simple and beautiful and profound. The word redemption or redeemed uh, is translated from a Greek word because the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. It's probably one of my top 20 Greek words of the New Testament. It's apolutrosin. Apolutrosin is when a slave was purchased out of slavery into their freedom. Now let's remember the context of the empire, right? The Roman Empire, one of the massive colonizing and militaristic and expanding of the long trail of empires throughout human history. And, and when the Roman Empire would conquer, so often in, in a village, city, uh, a town, a uh, a nation, a kingdom, they would so often take some of the most intelligent of the people, some of the most gifted artisans, some of the strongest workers, some of the most beautiful women, and they would enslave them. Matter of fact, Cicero once said, there's a glut, uh, translation, there's a glut on the market for slaves. A slave costs about the same as a loaf of bread. That's how many slaves there were tragically in the Roman Empire. And so sometimes you would have a village, a town, community, family, and they would trace where that person who had been in, enslaved um, was. And they would go to that, to that city, to that town, to that village, to that farm, and they would offer to purchase that family member, friend, community member, to purchase them out of their slavery and bring them back home. And when that happened, it was agarazo. That's what Jesus did for us. See, we fell under the, the influence and the slavery of sin, Satan, darkness, depravity, wounded, all, all of that. And, and in some ways, we were, we were held captive. And Jesus went to, I'll say, I hate to even use this term, the slave market of earth. And on the cross, he basically had a showdown with Satan. And he said, listen, Satan, <laughs> These are my people, and I'm purchasing them on the cross, and I'm bringing them home to my heavenly Father to be part of my family. Isn't that beautiful? That's what Christ has done for us. See, Christ was the original abolitionist. And he's loved abolition and, and, and freedom and liberation of all peoples in every way ever since. So... To give us kind of a, a, a contemporary example, you know how when we have old you know, bottles and, and cans, and often they're dirty and they'd be worthless, um, but we take them to a redemption center, right? And there we put them through. It always jams when I'm there, okay? Or it says it's full, go see the manager, whatever. But And then you get money back. See, what's happening is you take something that would otherwise seem worthless to us. You go to a redemption center, and you get money back. That's a great portrait. See, some of us might feel worthless, like those cans and bottles. 
you're not a throwaway. Your soul has more worth than you and I will ever fully fathom. And Jesus is like a redemption center who takes upon himself our filth and our guilt and our, our brokenness and our depravity and, and clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. And in that says, now, oh, you have such great value. You've been redeemed out of slavery. Now, imagine with me that, that you have a, a, a slave who was set free or a POW who at great cost uh, by maybe Navy SEALs has been liberated and then they say, nah, thank you, but I, I think I'll just stay here in slavery. We'd say, boy, what is this? And yet it isn't easy for us to do that. Christ has set us free, has, has liberated us. Will we continue to go back to oh, my identity? I, I better find it in something, achievement, a person, a substance, or we go back to the past and we forget our identity. We're no longer slaves. We're set free. And when we are lured back towards slavery, God's grace. When we repent and when we can be set free to be God's people. Let's not continue to live in the slavery of our past or the slavery of bondage, but instead to be set free. What was the purchase price? for us. Verse 7, we read it's His blood. See, that's what the cross is all about. Christ on the cross showed us God's deep love for us, and also it's, it's, it's like the blood that, that like covers over our sin, and it's been atoned for. We've been set free now to be God's beloved children by grace, not by performance. Oh, now, what religious boxes do I need to check off now? No. Instead, it's I'm now set free to learn to love God. And what a higher motivation than checking off religious boxes to obey the God who's the lover of our souls. One of, one of my favorite songs in, in one of my playlists is a great uh, Christmas carol. It's O Holy Night. It's sung by Josh Groban. It, 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 it's beautiful. And um, hear the words. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It's the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till Christ appeared and the soul felt its worth. Christ appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. What a thrill of hope. Maybe you're, maybe you're weary. We live in a weary, burdened, anxious, troubled world, don't we? What a thrill of hope that our soul has inestimable value. Not because of our performance, although let's pursue the things that God calls us to with excellence as a great witness and steward the gifts that God gives to us. Those are beautiful things, but they can't become our identity. Or those things will captivate us and they'll derail us from God's vision, God's destiny, God's call for our lives. I pray through, through this message in the days to come by God's Spirit and reading Scripture and living in community together that we'll constantly remember your soul has an estimable worth in the sight of God. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you are interested in learning more about what we do here at FBC, please visit our website, fbcamherst.org. 
Also, consider subscribing to this podcast so you can get a notification when our weekly sermons are posted. Again, thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a great day. Thank you.